Welcome to Forest City Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We hope that you find today's message encouraging on your journey of figuring out what it looks like to follow Jesus in the 21st century. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Please welcome Des with me. Well, good morning. Can you guys hear me? Good. Well, hello. It is so good to be here with you today. I thought since Amy kind of gave her version of our intro story, maybe I should give my version, (laughs) just so you guys can get both perspectives. But I did hear that there were some new pastors in town, and they were looking for someone to watch their daughter. And I don't even know why, if I'm being honest, I answered this email. Um, But I kind of needed, I was working four days a week at a church, and I just needed one more day of work, okay? And it's very hard, you guys know, to find a job just for one day. And so I was very hesitant, because I kind of had all these ideas in my mind of what I thought Amy and Jordan were going to be like. Uh, And so I emailed them, and even when Jordan was emailing me, I think he was just being nice, but I was like even offended at his emails. He was like, oh yeah, tell me about you, and I was like mad at him already. I was like, why, just because you don't know me? I don't know. I was just offended about everything. And so they asked to meet at Small Victory. And I remember I went and I had all these guards up. And I, I don't know, I just felt like pastors, they like take advantage of people. In my mind, I was like, they're going to offer me no money and I'm going to say no. And I like had this like number in my mind. I was like, if they offer me below this much money to watch their daughter, I'm not going to do it. And I don't know, I went into this meeting again, just kind of like walls up, I would say. And within like 30 seconds, I don't even, I'm meeting Jordan. And Jordan is like, hey, how are you? How can, like, so friendly, so nice, just pushed through any walls, even if I didn't want him to, and just like sat beside me. And so I went and I, we ended up going, we we're at Brentwood. We went upstairs and I don't know, ever since that, I just uh, loved them because how can you not? They're the most wonderful, wonderful people. I don't know if you guys know how lucky you are that you have Amy and Jordan as your pastor. And I, like Amy said, yeah, give them a cheer, guys. Like Amy said, I had babysat for them, so I have been in their house, and I have seen them when they're on stage, and I have seen them when they're just in their real lives, and one of my favorite things about them is that they are so consistent, that they have integrity, and that's why I love and respect them so much. I text them way more than they probably want me to. I just text them like random things about my life. Um, But you know, they're too polite to say, we're busy, but that's okay. I just do it anyways. And I'm very, very so thankful for them and yeah, all that they have been in my life. Like Amy said, I do work at Broadway Church. I'm the next gen director there. I started with preteens ministry at Broadway, which I never really wanted to do, but that's kind of the door that God opened. And then from preteens, I moved to young adults, and now I am the next gen director. And really, 
my whole story is just a story of God's faithfulness and how he has opened every single door. Really, like, if, I'm not just saying that. Like, if you hear my story, that is what it is. But if you're wondering, what does a next-gen director do? I thought it was so funny. When I walked in here today, I had, like, five people comment on my shoes. And so at Christmas, I just want to show you, like, a really accurate picture of what being a next-gen director is like at Christmas. We had, um, I'm not sure if you guys know what the dundies are, but basically it's these awards, you kind of come up with silly awards for people. And my young adult leadership team that I have tirelessly invested in, that, you know, people call me at 1 a.m., they text me, I spend all my, what they voted for me was not, you know, like, most loving pastor, no, no, no. My, what I got was shoe game needs the most improvement, okay? <laughs> Which essentially means I have really ugly shoes. And I, I was, I don't know, I thought my shoes were fine, but anyways. So the reason why I have such white shoes is because during Christmas, I got three new pairs of shoes because I was bullied by the young adults at my church. But anyways, if you're wondering what a next-gen director does, that's it. You just constantly feel old and irrelevant all the time. Um, wow, you guys were laughing a lot. I don't know, I, that wasn't okay. Anyway, well, I will continue on. So I don't know if you guys have ever seen my church. Uh, it's a very big. Um, there are so many doors. There are so many like special access areas. And one of the most annoying things about being on staff at my church is that every single area of the church, you kind of need like a special clearance key to get into, okay? And it is not easy. You would think, oh, Des, you're the next-gen director. You must have keys to everywhere. I don't. It's very hard to get keys, and it's not that I haven't tried. I have tried. You have to prove and kind of go through this process that you deserve keys to get into some of these special access areas. And to me, there's not really a distinguishable way that someone can get access to one of these areas and how someone else can't. Because, for example, our youth pastor has keys to one of our front doors, but I don't. Why? I don't know. I have no idea. And if you're wondering if I've asked, I have. But the answer has just been no, I, I don't need it. Just call the custodian, call someone. Okay, fine. And maybe you think, okay, well, that's reasonable, but I'll just give you another example so you can understand how hard it is and how weird it is to get keys. I have a young adult's ministry assistant. He's worked with me for a year. For one year, I have been trying to get this man keys just to my office. I have asked no. I got my boss, the associate pastor of our church, to ask, no. So for one year, we have been suffering, okay? We've been trying to share my keys, you know, like it's so annoying when we're trying to do setup. And then out of the blue, just a couple months ago, our preteen pastor, and you're like, where is the preteen pastor coming in? That's the point. The preteen pastor is not part of this at all. She asked for keys for him, and he got keys. That doesn't make any sense to me. And so at first I was very frustrated by it, but I kind of just accepted it. But it kind of seems to me, the person who's in charge of the keys, his name is Steve, okay? He sits every single Sunday. Why are you laughing? What's going on? Do people know Steve? <laughs> he sits every single Sunday in the front of our church in the coffee shop with his arms crossed like this. I'm kind of intimidated by him, but he's in charge of who gets the keys. And it just seems to me that the people that get keys are just people that he likes the most. I don't know if that's true, but that's really what it feels like. Um, and so I've kind of just given up. I don't know what the secret formula is. I don't know how to get access to these special areas, but I just accept it. 
But there has been times in my life where I have kind of felt like that in my relationship with God. That there's some people who I'm around, maybe just in person, maybe when I listen to podcasts, that it kind of seems like they have this special access to him, if that makes sense. That when they pray, something seems kind of different. When they talk about their relationship with God, it seems so intimate, it seems so real. And they have all these testimonies and these miraculous stories of God answering their prayers in these crazy ways. I know someone, they can just look at people and just tell if they, what they need prayer for. They read these bi- their Bible and they have these profound revelations in like the craziest scriptures that like in the Old Testament and Chronicles that God is speaking to them. I read that before. I didn't get that. They have visions. They have all of these things. And even in tough times, they still talk about how much they love God. And I'll be like, hey, what did you do last night? <laughs> And genuinely, guys, I have people in my life who will be like, oh, I just prayed for a few hours. I'm like, oh, what did you do? Same. No, that's not true. That's, that's not what I did. But I actually want that too. I really do. I really want God to speak to me. I really want him to tell me the plans that he has for my future and give me vision for my ministries. I want to have dreams and I want to have that deep, intimate relationship with him. And I want to want to pray for hours at a time. But I don't usually want that because if I'm being really honest with you guys, as the next-gen director at Broadway Church, it sounds so fancy, but sometimes that desire doesn't really translate. Sometimes it's a struggle because I sit there and I'm trying to have my quiet time with God. And I do this thing, I try to put my phone away underneath my sheet so I can't even see it because if I can see it, like I make eye contact with it, no, I just put it away. And I sit there and I'm just trying to focus on God. In my mind, it starts to drift to all of the different things that I have to do. It starts to drift to, oh, I wonder if I'm missing any emails. I wonder if anybody texts me. And I kind of find myself in this place where I feel like my prayer life is not really working in the same way for me as it is with those other people. It's not that I don't have a relationship with God because I do. It's not that I don't read my Bible, because I love reading my Bible, but there seems to almost be this special relationship with God that is almost special access, that is filled with so much depth and intimacy, and it's much harder to come by or even to sustain. Pastor Jordan and Pastor Amy, they told me that you guys have been talking and going through a series about prayer, and they asked me to talk on the topic of prayer as relationship, more specifically the quality of relationship, of our relationship with God and communication with him, and how do we get that? Because whether we realize it or not, we actually get to determine the quality of relationship that we have with God. That's actually up to us. That our relationship with God is not like my church, where special access and intimacy are just reserved for those who Steve or God really, really loves. (laughs) But it's something that is available to all of us. Thank you for laughing at my jokes. Um, But it's equally, it's available to all of us, but it's equally something that we are all looking for. There's a story in the Bible, some of you may have read it. It's found in John 11, and it's a story about Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And it's the same Martha and Mary that Amy just read about, but a different story. And in this story, their brother Lazarus is sick, and Martha and Mary, they send this message to Jesus. Jesus, please come and heal our brother. He's not doing well. But what ends up happening is that Jesus doesn't show up in time, and their brother dies. 
And I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. Jesus does end up raising their brother back to life. But I think something that's so interesting about this story is that when Martha and Mary, they each have a separate conversation with Jesus before they know that their brother is going to be raised, and they say very similar things to him, almost totally identical. One, Martha says in verse 21, and Mary says in verse 32, they both say, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Again, they say almost identical things, but I think it's so interesting because Jesus responds to both of them so differently. To one, when Martha goes up to him and she says this, he kind of gets into this theological conversation with her about raising the dead. But Mary, she asks him the same question, but this time it moves him to tears. The Bible even says that he's deeply troubled. Mary starts to cry and it moves his heart. He starts to cry. And when I look at this story, I can't help but wonder why Jesus responds to them so differently. I mean, is it because Jesus loves Mary more than Martha? No, it actually clarifies this in the same story. It says that Jesus loved all of them. But when I look at it, there seems to be something different about each of these women's relationship with Jesus. That in one The conversation is just filled, you know, with plastic, almost like Christian buzzwords, I would say. And the other is filled with real intimacy and depth and honesty and relationship that moves Jesus to tears. And I want to propose to you today that the difference here is the quality of relationships that Mary and Martha each had with Jesus. And that we can see the beginnings of this in the story that Amy actually read earlier. And... I wasn't actually going to preach on this topic. Um, I was going to preach on something else. But, you know, after talking to Amy and Jordan, I ended up changing my mind. And anyways, I decided to preach on this. But part of this is because this is something that God has been teaching me, myself. And a few months ago, no, no, that's not true. It was like a year ago. I was at this women's conference um, at my church. And I don't know, I feel like I have a certain way that I like services to go. There's certain systems that we have And we were running this women's conference. There was like 200 people there. And all of the people running the conference, they were just doing everything wrong. (laughs) Like they didn't put anything in planning center. I don't know if you know what planning center is, but basically it's how people plan services. They had papers spread all over the place of different announcements. I show up and they're like, oh, you're doing announcements, right? Like everything was a mess. Everything. The transitions were awful. And I was just getting more and more angry. Okay? And I was like, don't these guys know how to run an event? Like, this is embarrassing. And I remember I was, we were in worship and I was like praying to God. And I was like, God, I'm so angry. Like, this is ridiculous. Um, And I remember God, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and He said, Look. And I look around and the whole room was filled with women crying on their knees, praying for each other. And there I was, I was so angry because I was so focused on trying to make something perfect, but nobody else even noticed because they were connecting with God. And I felt so clearly the Holy Spirit say to me, Des, I want to use your voice, but first you need to sit at my feet. And I felt so convicted because I just missed God. And that's why I chose this story. And so this story of Martha and Mary, I just picked out three simple things that I have been actually learning in my relationship with God and how to have a quality, in-depth relationship with him. And when I look at this story, the first thing that I see is that prayer is about partnership. That when Jesus comes to their house, I see this contrast in how Martha and Mary both respond to Jesus. Martha 
She gets to work. She starts making food. I feel like she's the type of woman, you know those people who can like fold fancy napkins and shapes and stuff like that? Like that's how I kind of envision Martha when I read this story. She wants to make everything perfect. I mean, Jesus is in her house. And that's not a bad thing. I love, you know, folded napkins and towels and stuff like that. But the result is that is she ends up coming to Jesus and she complains about her sister. Guys, Jesus is in her house. And she takes this opportunity to call him over. She says, Lord, are you just going to let her sit there while I do all of these things? Are you okay with that? She starts to question the fairness of Jesus. And I'll read the response one more time that Amy read earlier. He said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing, one thing, worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. When I look at this story, I see that you can be around Jesus, but you can totally miss him. Martha is so focused on what is going on around him and doing for him that she misses him. And Mary, her response to Jesus, that Jesus in her house She makes a decision to sit and to listen to his words because it's not about what you do for God. It's about who you are before him. The issue here is not favor. Again, it's distraction and prioritization that Martha is more focused on doing things for Jesus while Mary is more focused on being with Jesus. And when we're talking about prayer as relationship, it's the partnership there that makes a difference. That's the secret sauce I mean, how many times in our prayer lives do we just talk at God and not with him, right? We bring him our lists. We tell him all the different things that we're worried about and how we want our lives to turn out and our hopes and our dreams. We get frustrated when things aren't working out. But prayer is a conversation, and it starts with his words. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue, right? Nobody wants to be in a relationship where someone talks the whole time. Right? We move away from those people. We all know those people. People who, again, they talk the whole time, or maybe they just talk to you when they want something, or maybe they say they want to be close with you, but they kind of just only show up once a month. Like, you can't really have an in-depth relationship with anything, anyone like that. It's one-sided. But I can't tell you how many times that is what my prayer life has looked like with God. The secret sauce, the way to get special access is not to God, it's not these extravagant prayers, it's not serving in all these ministries, it's not a perfect life, but it is partnership with God. It's dialoguing with him and knowing him and falling in love with him, not because of all of the different things that he can do for you, but because of who he is. And to Mary, spending time with Jesus, it wasn't a duty, it was a delight. I know so many young adults. I don't know what your church culture is like here, but I get together with them, and they just tell me that they're so busy. They're so tired. They're so burnt out. They're doing all these different things. They're literally serving in all of our ministries. And I'm like, God, okay, well, have you prayed about it? Because I don't think God wants that for you. And usually I get the response of like, oh, well, I tried to pray, but I can't really connect with God, or I don't have time to pray. You don't have time to pray, but you have time to pray, time to serve in all these different ministries. I actually, at my church, I had to make a rule <laughs> that you have to choose if you want to serve in youth or young adults. 
because everybody was serving in all of them and nobody was really thriving. Thank you. Some of them didn't think it was good, but anyways. <laughs> but we have tons of Christians running around and doing all of these things for God, even not just in the church, in our workplaces, with our families, with our less in lessons, trying to do all these things. But I don't know if I could say with confidence that God has asked us to do all of those things. And then as a result, instead of doing things with God, we do things for him, and then we get frustrated when we're burnt out or when we're tired. We kind of sound like Martha, right? There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. I think in some of the seasons of my life, one of the best things that I could have done was rip up my prayer list, really, and look at Jesus and listen to him and hear his words. And that's what Mary's doing. She's sitting at his feet and he is marking her and washing her and shaping her and filling her. Partnering with God, it's not about duty. It's about delight. And when you don't know someone, when you don't love someone, and you have all these different things to do for them, it's hard not to slip into duty, especially when we're tired. Because it kind of starts to become this checklist of all these things that we have to do. I have to read my Bible, I have to go to church, I have to do this, I have to do that. But partnering with God, it's not a checklist. It's inviting him into every area of our lives. It's letting our whole lives, not just our 10-minute prayer time, become a dialogue with him, not a monologue. Where you don't just sit there and tell him all the things that are going on and then move on, but you let him mark your heart with his words. The second thing that I notice in this story is that prayer has a lot to do about posture. That even though Mary is sitting in this story, she's actually making a stance. She's saying, hey, the creator of the universe is in my house and I am going to refuse to let myself get busy. And I know maybe it can seem almost impractical, right? They did need to eat. Somebody did need to cook the food. But Mary prioritized a life at his feet. I like the way Matthew Henry puts it. She sat denotes close attention. Her mind was composed and she was resolved not merely to catch a word now and then, but to receive all that Christ delivered. And if we sit with him at his feet now, we shall sit with him on his throne shortly. Wow. Guys, our physical posture has a lot to do with our spiritual posture. One of the best things that we can do in our prayer lives is to learn how to come out of the busyness of this world and discover the glory at the feet of Jesus. Martha is running around doing all these things and she comes to complain to Jesus and he gives her a posture adjustment. Again, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary discovered it. It's not going to be taken away. And I think sometimes we need a posture adjustment for our hearts right? There's just one thing that matters, and one of the biggest disservices we can do as a church or as Christians, we get so caught up. I don't know what your church is like, but my church, we have marriage courses, we have like gift courses, money courses, we have courses for everything. We focus so much on teaching people how to do all these different things, but if we are not living a life that is submitted at the feet of Jesus, if that one thing is not in place, I think you can do all the courses that you want, but I think you're still gonna keep bearing the same fruit because the only thing that matters is the one thing. 
If you get this one thing in, right in your life, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how rich you are, how gifted you are. It just takes people who get it, the one thing. And if you get this one thing right, I really think that that will set a trajectory to set many other things in your life right. But if you go after this one thing, you get everything. And Mary chose what no one could take away from her. And the imagery in this passage of her sitting at the feet of Jesus is pausing. It's focus, it's distraction-free, and it's surrender. And often I think that is one of the hardest things for me to do, guys, because I am like Martha. I wish so much I could stand up here and be like, I'm Mary, I sit at the feet. No, I'm not. I am so Martha, okay? It is so hard for me. Even last week, somebody was so mean to me, and all week I have been trying to tell God why I'm so mad at them and why it's not okay, and I feel like God keeps telling me to, to stop and to sit at his feet. When we're talking about prayer as a relationship, I really believe that the quality of the relationship that you have with God has to do with your posture before him. Because when I sit at the feet of Jesus, when I actually pause, when I let him talk first, it puts things into perspective. It reminds me that he is God and I'm not. And it aligns my heart to his We're so busy running around doing all these different things, but we're not really looking at Jesus and letting him transform us. And it's here when we are in that posture that we get this space to be real with God. Because when we don't have the right posture before God, we have these things that I like to call plastic prayers, right? Where our hearts um, are so far from him, but we've been around church, we kind of know the right things to say, but it's not real, We're just saying all these things, but our hearts are so far from that. God wants our real hearts. I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. I mean, how can we expect to have a real relationship with God if we're not being honest with him? I mean, even me and Amy and Jordan, like, the only reason that... (laughs) you know, they put up with me probably and that I put up with them is because we know each other. We know real intimate things about each other. We've been honest with each other. And that's what has kept our relationship, I think, for like, I don't know how long it's been, but real, honest relationship, real, honest conversation. Now, I did not grow up in a Christian family. Um, You know, my journey is kind of a long story. I'm not going to share my whole testimony. Of course, don't worry, guys. <laughs> but um, when my parents were divorced when I was about one years old, and my mom struggled deeply with depression, um, and she needed to sleep a lot. And in order for her to do that, she would lock me in my room a lot. So I spent a lot of time alone. And this was something that was really hard for me as a child. And my dad, he drank a lot, and he was pretty mean. And so I felt like, as a little girl, um, It was just a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurts that I had to deal with. And I did become a Christian, obviously. I did internships. I went to Bible college. I did end up working in churches. But because of what happened to me when I was little, there was always this part of me that was kind of angry at God. There's always this part of me that's like, I just trusted him like up to here, but this part, I'm not sure. Because I couldn't really like come to grips and understand how God could say he was good, but he let all these things happen to me. 
And I, you know, was around Broadway, I was around all these churches, and I would see Christians who grew up in families and had all these supports. And it would just leave me in this place where I was questioning the goodness of God, because I would compare my life to theirs. I would compare where I was and where they were, and it felt like so many of them were ahead of me, and I felt like that's not fair. And I remember there was a season where I was struggling with God so much. I just felt like I couldn't trust him, and it was impacting my work because I worked in a church. It was impacting everything, and it came to this point um, where I couldn't hide it anymore. And so I had to make a decision. I was like, I can't do this double life anymore. It's like, either God, you and I work this out, or I have to like, step down from my job because this is not working. Every time I would go to God and I would pray, I would try to be, you know, like say, you know, be a good Christian. Like, God, I trust you, God. I know that you make, you know, good things out of mess. I would try to say all those things, but it would always end up with me crying or me throwing my Bible across the room or whatever it may be. And I remember I had this friend who said to me, I think you just need to go and be angry before God. Nobody had ever said that to me before, so I thought I would try it, and I took this season, I think it was like a month and a half or two months, where every single day I would stop eating at 6 p.m., sort of fasting, sort of not, you know, and I would just go sit before God, and I was angry before him. I was just angry. I just sat there, and I was okay with that, and I just sat in the anger. And it took some time, and I don't know at what point it changed, but at a certain point, all this anger that was filling my heart and my mind, it kind of changed into this confident assurance that God loved me and that I don't know, guys, I don't know why the things happened in my life. But in the honesty, in being angry before God, he changed my heart and he, he did something that wouldn't, I wouldn't, that wouldn't have been able to happen if I wouldn't have done that. And when we're not taking the time to stop, stop and sit at the feet of Jesus we miss an opportunity to build this deep, intimate relationship with him. To put aside our plastic prayers and bear the truth of what's really going on inside, even if the truth is kind of angry or ugly, because that's where Jesus does the deep work in our hearts. And we can't have that deep heart work if we're too busy running around. I actually think running around is kind of easier, right? Doing all these different things, but submission and sitting at his feet and being honest, that's actually the harder part. Prayer as relationship is seeing the value of our posture before God and making it a priority. And the final thing that I noticed in this passage is that prayer is about preparation. That whether Martha and Mary realize it or not, how they respond to Jesus in Luke 10, in the time when life is going okay, when things are good, we can actually see the fruit of that and how they respond to Jesus in their suffering and their hardship during the death of their brother. And the same is true for you and I, that the daily rhythms that we prioritize in our lives in terms of our relationship with God, they carry over into seasons of hardship and suffering. I mean, there are going to be times of trouble. There are going to be intense seasons. And what happens is those expose the realities of our lives. It exposes what's really going on in our hearts. And it exposes whether we are in partnership with God, whether we're doing things with him or just for him, It exposes our posture before him if we're really taking the time to get to know him. And if we don't take the time to cultivate a secret life at the feet of Jesus, 
where his words are the predominant conversation, it will get exposed in another season. During hardships, so many of us fall off the boat in our relationship with God, right? We get offended, we get disappointed, we get upset. And I'm not saying that disappointment or sadness isn't a valid reaction because life can be hard. But when we take the time to develop our relationships with God and get to know him before the storms of life come, when prayer with God becomes a delight and not a duty, we see the fruit of that when the rubber hits the road, when life gets hard. I mean, we see this even in our everyday lives and habits. I mean, I'll give you a silly example. If I don't make my bed, I feel weird, okay? I didn't grow up in a house that was like really clean. I never really made my bed. Like I'm not, my house is not perfect, okay? I'm just trying to get you guys to understand the picture. But I think like a couple years ago, I started watching all these Instagram, no, 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 not Instagram, YouTube. There's Instagram ones too. But talking about like how to be successful, you know, how to have like that girl morning routine. And all of them said things, make your bed. Because if you make your bed in the morning, it teaches you discipline. And if you make your bed in the morning, you accomplish something. And you know, that girl, she would do that. So I decided that I was gonna start making my bed. And I'm telling you guys, I don't know what it is, but I cannot leave my life, my life, my house, without making my bed. Like, if you saw what my house looked like right now, it's a mess. There's clothes everywhere because I couldn't find the outfit I wanted to wear this morning, but my bed is made, okay? The rhythms I put in my life when things are chill, when things are easy, when I'm making my bed and I'm trying to have an aesthetic morning routine, they've actually carried over into my everyday life. My bed is made when I'm having a good day and a bad day. And the same is true for reading my Bible. I have not always read the Bible in all seasons of my life. I think there is a long time when it was just kind of like how I felt, you know, but I started reading a Bible in one year plan. And do I have a crazy life-changing encounter every time I read my Bible? I'm in Ezra right now. No, I don't, actually. But it sets me up to have this space where I can connect with God in all seasons of my life, in the good, in the bad, I read my Bible. The rhythms that you put in your daily life, when things are going well, they're actually preparing you and carrying you over in all seasons. That prayer is preparation. And in the good seasons and in the bad, we see Mary at the feet of Jesus. Both. But how? Because she had that one thing down. That one thing that couldn't be taken from her, even if everything else was taken from her, even if her brother died in good seasons and in bad, she had that one thing. And I think so often we haven't made Jesus that one thing in our life. And when we have hardship and delays and disappointment, they really shake us. We distance ourselves from God. We can walk away I mean, I have been shocked at how many people in my life, people that I went to Bible college with, who have walked away from God because of hardship. I remember one of my friends, like, we were really good friends in Bible college. We haven't talked in forever, like five years. And she just reached out to me out of the blue. And she was someone I looked up to. And anyway, she got together with me. We went to OEB. And she just said, Des, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't think God is good. And then... She said, I wanted to get together with you because I wanted you to know that the church is bleeding out young people and I want to know what you're doing about it. I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that, but okay. 
when we do not have that one thing, when we do not have that partnership with God, when we do not have that posture before him, we misinterpret troubles and trials. We think that it means God doesn't love us or that he's mad at us or that he's not good or that he doesn't care. But we've never been promised a trouble-free life. Jesus actually tells us we will have trouble. I mean, Isaiah 53, Jesus is referred to as the man of many sorrows. And I think what's so interesting, again, back to the story of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, is that it emphasizes that Jesus loved them, but even though he loved them, he still makes them wait. Even though he loved them, they still had to go through some suffering. And I think to me, when I read this, it seems a little confusing because I thought love immediately fixes something that's uncomfortable. I mean, there's so many stories of Jesus healing people on the spot, but the story emphasizes his love for them, but there's also a delay and death and waiting. Jesus loves them and he chooses to wait and they walk through suffering. And Mary, her heart is broken. She's weeping and it moves Jesus to tears even though he knows what's gonna happen. When we're talking about how to have an in-depth quality relationship with God, nothing will do that more than sitting at the feet of Jesus in our suffering. We do everything to barricade ourselves from suffering. I hate suffering, guys. Really. But Jesus doesn't just suffer for us. He does it as an example for our suffering, okay? Because really to know him is not just to know him in the resurrection, but it's also in the death and resurrection. It's the fellowship of suffering. True quality relationship with God, prayer as a relationship, is remaining in partnership with God and keeping that posture in the good and the bad. It's sitting at Jesus' feet, even when you have no words, even when you don't understand, when life is unfair, there's no friendship or true relationship with depth when one person constantly leaves when there's hardship. The friends that I was talking about earlier in the beginning of the story, these people who seem to have special access to God, when you really hear their stories, they've been through some things. But the difference is, is that they have clung to that one thing that matters. And just like Mary, because they spent time with him developing the relationship with God, that it's not a duty and a list of things, but it is a delight. We see the fruit of that in all seasons. There is no special access key to intimacy with God. God doesn't have secret favorites. We have control of the intimacy in our relationship with God, and we get to choose. If you're in a season where God is not answering your prayers, I want to let you know that you're in good company. It's not a statement that God doesn't love you, because he does love you, and he hears you. And um, I can't remember the person who's playing the keys, but you can play the keys now. <laughs> um, that's your sign. <laughs> um, but it's not. In God's love for Martha and Mary, he wanted to do more than just answer their prayers. God wants to do more than answer your prayers. He wants to make you whole. He wants to shape you and fill you and use your life so much more than you think. Imagine what it would be like if the most important thing in our life, the thing that we prioritize was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Imagine if we refused to let the distractions of our lives 
turn our eyes away from him and sat at his feet and chose the one thing that really matters, the one thing over all. Why don't you guys close your eyes? I'm just going to pray as we close. God, we want to come to you now and there's so many different things going on in all of our lives. There's so many different things. There's expectations. There's bills that we have to pay. There's relationships that we want. There's goals that we're trying to succeed in. But this morning, God, we just want to take a moment to align our hearts with yours. God, in all things, in all seasons, in the good, in the bad, You are the only thing that doesn't change. You never change. You are consistent and you are faithful. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us surrender our expectations to you of our lives. I pray that you would help us surrender the things that we're holding in our hands and put them down. And that you would be our one thing. God, you don't want us to be Christians that are cushy. God, you want us to be mature. You want us to know you and love you because you want deep, intimate relationship with us, God. You want to speak to us. And I pray for anyone here today who is discouraged. I pray for anyone who's felt like maybe you've looked the other way. But God, it's not true. God, you are close to the brokenhearted and it says in your word that you are ever present in times of trouble, that you're so close, that you're still in control no matter what's going on in our lives. And we want to make a decision that you are our one thing. God, help us let go of the idols and the different things that we put in front of you. God, purify us and make us more like you. God, let us not be, like, I know it's a cheesy thing that Christians say to be like Mary and not Martha, but God, the heart there of choosing you before everything. Because when we look for everything, we don't get it, but when we look for you, the one thing, that's when we get everything. We pray for your peace. We pray, God, that you would... Help us pause, not just here in church, but when we go home. God, we don't want to be too busy for you. God, we don't just want to go through the motions of just being a Christian who does things. We want to really know you. And I pray that that would be the story of this church, that it would be a people who are seeking you, a people who love you, a people who know you, that you would help us love you more than anything, God. I pray that you would give us courage to sit at your feet.
sometimes it's hard to face things that we need to face. And I pray that in the process that you would transform our lives, that you would turn our plastic prayers into real heart prayers. We love you, God, and we thank you again that you're not far away. You're so close. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in more resources, messages, or signing up for our current events, you can find everything on our website at forestychurch.ca.